This is James Currier at NFX, and today we're talking about what startup founders can learn from the success of Uber. With all these big IPOs coming along, you know, we should notice that most of them are networks and have network effects in them, because 70% of all value created in the tech space over the last 25 years has been around network effects. So you founders, as you're looking at these IPOs, what are the things you can learn? And today we want to talk about five things that Uber really teaches us looking backwards. It's an incredible story. The first lesson that we've all got to notice is that speed and aggressiveness wins. You have to remember that Lyft actually got to peer-to-peer -peer car sharing first. And Uber was so fast and so aggressive that they were able to copy the Lyft app into UberX feature on their app within 30 days. So within 30 days of Lyft launching, they had a direct competitor in UberX. This type of changing of speed and, and direction is only going to come about when you have a culture that is committed to that sort of aggressiveness. And it's really paid off for them in the long run, both in terms of the investors they got, people they were able to hire, the markets they were able to enter, the experiments they were able to try, capital they were able to raise. It's showed in every aspect of their business. And you can bring that to the way you operate your business. If you look at chess, I can beat a grandmaster in chess if I can make two moves to every one move they make, even though they're much better than me. Speed is the ultimate competitive weapon, and Uber has shown that again and again. And we can talk about their culture and the long-term impacts of that. But there's no doubt that the way this company aggressively attacked this market produced a $100 billion company when their competitor, Lyft, produced just a $20 billion company. And time and again, people will poo-poo them and say, oh, you know, those guys are bad guys and, and whatnot. That became true at some point. But they still won the market, and now they have a chance to do things right going forward. Now, certainly, the way they kept evolving in that aggressiveness led to what we might call the asshole personality. And that can go too far because as we see, a year and a half ago, Lyft's market share was 25%. But because so many people defected from Uber because of their culture, Lyft's market share is now 39% in the US. And that type of impact can happen to your business when you take it too far. So there's clearly a downside to it, but there's no denying that the aggressiveness they've had over the last eight years has been the hallmark of the company and has produced this incredibly large company that now has an opportunity to transform industries. So the second point that founders should take from watching Uber is that you should focus on your defensibilities. So there's about four defensibilities left in the digital world. There's network effects, which are the greatest, and there's actually 13 different types of those. There's brand effects, there's scale, and there's embedding, embedding your software into other people's uh, workflow. So Uber woke up and had what we call an asymptoting two-sided marketplace network effect, which is not particularly strong. And I'll explain that in a second. They then rapidly and aggressively added in other defensibilities. It's what we call reinforcing. They added brand by getting in every paper, whether it was for positive or negative reasons. They added scale by raising a ton of capital and being everywhere. They embedded their app inside of Google Maps and other places where people were finding rides. And then they started adding other network effects. For instance, uh, Uber Commute in India, which is really a direct network effect, one of the strongest types of direct network effects. And they haven't rolled it out yet, but they very well could once they nail it. They've got Uber Eats, which is actually a three-sided marketplace network effect between the restaurants and the drivers and the consumers. This can be a pretty defensible business as well. I mean, they're competing with DoorDash right now, but both of them are sort of leading the market. And then they're also going after Uber Freight, which is also a two-sided marketplace that is non-asymptoting. The more trucks you have, the better. Well, it might be interesting to know, why is the initial asymptoting network effect not as strong? Well, it's because you don't really care as a consumer if the car comes to you in two minutes or three and a half minutes. 
if I have a thousand cars in San Francisco, I can get you a car in about three and a half or four minutes. Somebody else can come along and get a thousand cars and get you that car. But if I can get you the car in one minute, ah, you're still putting on your jacket. You're still saying goodbye. You still got to go to the bathroom. You still got to come down the elevator from where you are. You don't really care if it comes in a minute versus four minutes. It's not that much better. And since it's the same car, because the multi-tenanting on the supply side is already so easy for, for the driver, and because you can flip over to Lyft so easily by flipping over on the app, the multi-tenanting on the consumer side is also very easy. It doesn't really matter. So this is the definition of an asymptoting uh, marketplace network effect, and we really see it with Uber and Lyft, and it's not particularly strong. So what they did was focus on their defensibilities. They looked at all the different things they could do with their product, with the features, to add more defensibilities, reinforce the one they started with, and make a truly defensible business. So that when Juno raised $50 million to go after Uber and Lyft in Manhattan and be the third ride-sharing opportunity, they had no problem getting on the supply side. They were able to get hundreds and hundreds of drivers to provide a supply network to the riders. The problem was they couldn't get the riders. They couldn't get enough consumers to use their app because there was a brand effect. There was a scale effect. There was a habit that had been formed with the consumers just to punch that Uber app or that Lyft app, and they weren't going to add a third in their mind. And so Juno ended up selling for a small amount of money. So that's how Uber has shown us the way to focus on your defensibilities and be very clear about that and move toward reinforcement to build a truly defensible business. And this isn't something that I made up. They're actually saying in their S1 these days, every new service they add basically reinforces the original ones that they had. So they've actually known this from the beginning. They've been executing on this. And this is something that most founders don't know about and don't think about, but it's a key to building a truly important business. The third point that founders can take from Uber is really that capital can be a competitive weapon. You have to be good at fundraising if you're going to be doing a startup in a competitive space. If you're going to be trying to build something of scale and at speed, you can't have your competitors outraise you. It's going to make it very hard for you. If you're not great at fundraising today, you need to get excellent at it really quickly. And if you can't, maybe the CEO role isn't for you. And if you're working with someone who's the CEO and they're not great at it, help them get excellent at fundraising because if you can't get them there, then they probably shouldn't be in that seat. It's such a critical skill today, particularly because there are so many venture firms, there's so much capital out there that the people who are really good at fundraising are going to find their capital. They're going to get more market share. They're going to get more employees. They're going to get more noise and they're just going to get ahead of you. And it just makes it really difficult to play from behind. So you look at Uber, they've raised $24 billion to date, which is multiples of what Lyft has raised. Now at their IPO, because they're already ahead, they can raise $10 billion dollars in their IPO versus Lyft, which just raised $2 billion. And in addition, Uber's losses are now less than 2x's Lyft's. They're losing faster. They're losing more money faster than, than Lyft is, but it's not even 2x, even though they're raising five times as much money. So the runway's longer. They got ahead at the beginning because of their aggressiveness and because of their ability to raise a lot of capital, which they needed to do in a relatively non-defensible business. And now the further they got ahead, the further they got ahead. So capital isn't a defensibility, but it is a competitive weapon and it's advantage and it compounds on itself and it allows you to entrench yourself in the market. And in this world where there's so much capital, you've got to expect that anyone who's going to compete with you is not just going to grow through profits. They're going to grow through aggressively bringing on new capital and taking market share. And if they're going to do it, you need to do it faster. And that's just the nature of where we are in 2019. And maybe 40 years ago, we weren't there, but we're there now. 
So the fourth point out of five that I want to make today about what we can learn from Uber for startup founders is to make your vision as big as you can. From the beginning, once they realized what they had in their hand, Uber understood the vast opportunity that they could access after starting with just black cars, then going to peer-to-peer, and then growing the business. They've been saying this all along in their fundraising, but now even in their S1, they're saying we are not even 1% done with our work. We are addressing the $12 trillion of world global economic activity that is transportation. And that is addressable by us. It's 15% of all the economic activity on the planet, and we can go after that. When you have that type of span of your vision, when you articulate it that clearly, it gets investors excited, it gets the most talented employees excited, it gets the press excited, and that compounds your advantage in winning and taking these markets and in expanding these markets, in creating the markets that you want to be the dominant player in. And Uber has done this brilliantly uh, over the last many years. So make your vision as big as you can and find phrases that get people excited, like we're not even 1% done with our work. It's great. And the fifth and final point we'll make here is that Uber has done a wonderful job with language and naming. First of all, the name Uber itself is memorable. It's short. It sounds strong. It sounds appealing. And it's shared easily among people. The second thing is that that name, they injected it into our vernacular. It became a word. I'm going to Uber over there, or I'm going to grab an Uber. It's either a noun or a verb. When the name of your company and your brand name becomes shorthand for the entire market category, like Google did with search, and now Uber is for ride sharing, it becomes an incredibly powerful defensive weapon and a growth mechanism for you. And so language is very powerful and can actually create its own network effects. It's quite rare, but when we see it happen, you usually see 100 plus billion dollar companies. And so pay attention to it. See if you can't do that in your marketplaces and and focus on that language and the naming. Now, having the right name won't get you to 100 billion dollars by any means, but it's certainly a helpful leverage. And Uber, the name itself, actually understands the psychology of the consumer here. Uber is a word for supreme or better or higher status. And as we know from Eugene Way's wonderful uh, blog essay about status-seeking monkeys, we all want to feel as if we're getting the very best, the very supreme. And so the name itself connotes you're getting the best. Your willingness to pay goes up. Your willingness to tell your friends about it. Your willingness to share it goes up. Your willingness to be loyal to it. Why would I come down from the very best and use a lift or something else? So the name itself has a very subtle edge on it, or a very powerful edge that drives consumer behavior around this brand. So these are the five lessons that we think founders should take away from the Uber IPO. Number one, speed and aggressiveness wins. Number two, focus on your defense abilities. Number three, capital is a competitive weapon and get good at fundraising. Number four, make your vision as big as you can. And number five, language and naming matters. If you want to read more about this, go to nfx.com slash essays. Uh, We've got an article, a long article about Uber there uh, and a number of other articles about marketplace dynamics, network effects, defense abilities. 